Welcome, uh, good morning, Becca. I'm very excited to have you on. This is a topic that, um, well, we'll discuss a lot of topics, but this specific thing, life after loss, is touchy and hard and um, you've lived through it. So I want to hear your story about that and a whole bunch of other things. Um, yeah. The good, the bad, the raw. Let's hear it. Well, good morning and thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Um, yeah, so life after loss, I mean, it's, I don't even know where to really begin. I guess I'll give you like sort of my backstory, which is, I mean, I know you kind of looked through it already, but um, we, let's see, we have a four-year-old. His name is Killian. And then we decided when he was about two and a half to start trying for another baby. That took us um, 12 months, which was, as anybody who's gone through, like, trying to conceive or TTC knows, like, that, it's just agonizing when you want a baby and, like, it's not happening for you. So then we got pregnant in February of 2020, so, like, mid-pandemic lockdown, everything crazy happened. Did you have any um, delay in getting pregnant with your first one? Um, he took six months, which was, like, normal. Yeah. But for somebody who grew up thinking like, oh, you have sex once you get pregnant, I was like, what is wrong with us? You well, know, how guys? do they teach us that? I don't, oh God, I hate it so much. And it's so frustrating. They would just change, like, I mean, I grew up in abstinence culture, you know, like very religious, very strict. So that's where a lot of that comes from. But yeah, it's just, it's so glassed over, like a lot of things in education. It's unfair. It's so, and I mean, I think that as women, as moms, as people who have, you know, gone through this and I've had a lot of women on who have infertility, you know, situations, infertility warriors. It's like our daughters and sons for that matter, yeah. it's something that they need to be taught about earlier because we yeah. literally spend our whole life trying to prevent. And it's like, maybe if we're a little more aware earlier, we right. won't, you know, try to prevent. And I don't want to say, well, I just feel like there's probably a more holistic way to go about it. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I was on birth control more than half my life. Yeah, me too. Me too. And it's like, that's, I, I think that's where a lot of it comes from. Yeah. You know, just, it's a quick fix for any 16 year old who's having like, maybe is in a serious relationship for the first time or like she's having period irregularities and yeah. stuff, looking and figuring it out. It's a band aid and. Well, and it's crazy, you know, because a lot of women who I know now, you know, we're in our, I mean, I'm in my thirties, but like girls I've had on who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever, up until now, 2021, they basically just, and I'm, and the same thing, we use the pullout method, right? So like, I'm not on anything and it works. So it's like, what, like, I guess yeah. why risk it when you're younger? But even then, maybe That's like, all we used since, since I came off breath control in 2015 <laughs> when I was trying to get pregnant with Killian. I haven't gone back on since because I felt better. My mood swings are less drastic. Like I didn't have the extra weight gain that I had while on the pill. And then my periods, like they were intense at first, but even they evened out to where they're totally manageable. Yeah. So yeah. And we, you know, we went two and a half years without an accidental pregnancy and then a whole other year. So I don't know. I don't think I buy into like the, oh, it only takes one time anymore. This no. is, it's not been my experience. Like, at no, all. it's crazy. <laughs> it's truly like, it's, you know, the big, the big pharma, the pharmaceuticals, you know, it's their way to make a lot of money because yeah. a lot of everyone I knew growing up was on something on birth control, yeah. whatever. And 
that's fine, but it truly is a quick fix and it's wrong because when you're that young, you don't, even now, like if my doctor says, like the other day I was at my dermatologist and she said, oh, do you want, do you want something for, cause I will get the week before my period, I always get one or two, like just, otherwise my skin's clear. Yeah. And she said, and I was like, no, I don't want anything. Like I'd rather just deal with one or two pimples once a month. Yeah. But I know a lot of people, like I've been through it where a lot of women, they have, you know, things and they're not comfortable. And it's like, yeah, I'll take a prescription. And it's like, yeah. Well, I'm that way with a lot of things, especially around like pregnancy too. Like I consider myself to be partly crunchy where, you know, the doctors are like, Oh, do, you know, do this test, take these pills, try this prescription, go to a doctor for this, go to a doctor for that. And I'm much more like, well, let me see if I can kind of reset my body to fix the issue before I start medicating my symptoms, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, in that way with, with a lot of things. Okay. So sorry, back to you. And I will, <laughs> I will keep interrupting you just so you know, because That's I will totally forget. I'm so <laughs> bouncy and I'm like, where were we? Okay. So back to you yeah. were trying. So yeah. Um, six months with Killian and then it took us 12 months to conceive Miles. And actually, he was conceived in February 2020, the same month Killian was conceived four years earlier. Wow. So their birthday, their due, well, their due dates ended up being like about a month apart because I think um, we might have miscalculated. And you know how when you go on for your first scan, they're like, oh, well, you thought you were X amount of weeks, but yes. you're actually so many. Um, but yeah, they were going to be like right on the same track with each other. And I was had dreams of like putting Miles and all of Killian's like seasonal clothes and having side-by-side -side pictures of both my boys at the same age and the same outfits. Um, and it was just like such a relief when we finally got pregnant because I, like I said, the, the TTC period, that whole time, I'm, I'm a basket case. Like I'll be the first to admit I am crazy, insane, like irrational, angry all the time, just so frustrated thinking like the world is against me because I can't get pregnant and it's, it's hard. And when we got pregnant, I had this overwhelming feeling of like, I never have to go through that ever again because I was like, we're done. Like two kids is going to be it just because if we have a third, it has to be a true accident because I'm never like going through this like stress again. Yeah. yeah. Um, so kind of lost my train of thought. Where are we going with that? <laughs> so you got pregnant and yeah. then, I mean, I read all the way through your blog, so, but yeah. keep. Ex so everything, so everything was like, like textbook perfect. No problems. I had just like with my first pregnancy, minimal morning sickness, but like it was well managed. Like I knew that if I could get up and be active or eat something, like I would feel better. So it just kind of like pushed through all these things. Um, I started showing kind of early cause I was like, it's my second pregnancy. It's fine. I was still working out. Um, so it was really like, there weren't any issues. There weren't any signs, you know, and I know a lot of women who have miscarriages or losses. They have all these like symptoms like bleeding cramping pain you know like little scares that kind of land them in the doctor's office or the er like multiple times leading up to that and i i didn't have any of that um in fact for the first half so i was pregnant for 19 weeks with miles and for the first half i had this overwhelming sense of peace and that's all i talked about with my sisters i was like i feel like my life is in such a good place like 
our three-year-old at the time is so well-behaved. My husband and I have an amazing connection right now. We're having our second child. Like, work has got everything in life was, was just perfect. And then, like, it was, it was probably, I, I chalked up to, like, a lot of anxiety. When you feel like things are going too well, you're like, what's fixing to happen? So I started having a lot of these dark thoughts, like, like something could go wrong or something was supposed to go wrong. And even when we started thinking about like our preferred gender for the child I was pregnant with, cause we didn't know yet, you know, and I was like, well, I want another boy. I've always wanted two boys. And my husband and our son were both like, you know, we want a girl. Like it'd be really exciting to have a girl in the family, you know, another girl. And so I, this thought came to me one morning and I was like, well, if I want a boy and I feel like this baby's a boy, but then if I change my mind and start thinking like, well, a girl would be nice. A girl would be fun. Am I going to make this baby die because it's not the girl that I suddenly want? And that thought came to me. I remember I was driving my son to school that morning and I was like, that is such a messed up thought to have. Like babies don't die because you preferred the other gender or because you questioned like, Oh, well maybe this isn't the right time. Like, Thoughts don't make things like that happen. And it was kind of like this odd spiral down from there of like, well, what would I do? Well, what what would our life look like if that happened? And I don't even have, like right now with my Instagram account, I'm very immersed in like the baby loss community, but I've created that since having lost miles. It wasn't something I was like surrounded with Mm -hmm. or presented with. I didn't have like close friends who had been through it. Um, my sister has been through a couple of her own losses, but she's more like private and quiet about them. So even they weren't something that was like constantly presented to me. So there wasn't any reason that I should be dwelling on like what would happen if this baby died. And uh, I remember one weekend in May. So it was very close. So Miles um, was born in May. He, we found out he passed away and I was induced May 30th. So his birthday is my out. birthday. Is it really? That's crazy. Yeah, May 30th. And like seeing all of my memories on my Instagram or my Facebook now, I just see myself being like happy and posting and talking about like pelvic girdle pain and, and, you know, morning sickness and what I was eating and how I was still working out. And, and I feel kind of sad for Becca last year because I'm like she had no idea that she was two weeks away from the hardest thing in her life but this thought came to me and if I wouldn't have like said it out loud and texted to my sisters I probably would have either forgotten or thought like maybe I had made it up in hindsight but I text my three sisters and I said to them if my baby just dies in my belly would I know like would there be any signs or symptoms That's of that? That's so crazy. Right. Cause, and I started, like, Googling it because I just Google everything. Like, yeah. I don't have any fears. I'm not worried about, like, coming across something scary on Google. Yeah. Like, it's whatever. <laughs> and the only thing I could find was, like, signs of miscarriage, cramping, bleeding, pain, or, like, if you've sustained a fall or had an injury or something like that. And I was like, well, I haven't had any of that. And I was 19 weeks along, which they start saying like, oh, your chance of miscarriage is like 0.03, whatever, you know, at 19 weeks. Because at 20 weeks, it's 0% because it becomes a stillbirth after 20 weeks. And so I was like, I'm probably just having a lot of anxiety. And Did you have this with your first one? No. 
Not so not that I remember. John says I did that I talked about it a lot like what if something goes wrong but I, I honestly don't remember and I journaled through my entire first pregnancy and even reading back through my journals I don't see signs of these like anxious dark feelings so I don't think so uh, my therapist did tell me like well the brain only holds on to so much and you tend to remember like the things that came true rather than the things that didn't like you let those go mm. a little bit more easily he was he you birthed him he's alive so you let go of all the other things probably yeah I, I guess so um, but I I don't remember that in fact there was right before my first ultrasound with miles when I was 15 no like 13 or 14 weeks along mm -hmm. so like pretty far along um and pretty close to when he died it was only a few weeks before we found out he had died actually i went in and i don't know if you are um a law and order fan but i'm a huge svu fan <laughs> and there's this one episode where they're trying to find a woman who just gave birth and so they come across this older like woman and they're like no it has to be her like she obviously just gave birth and they're like no she she didn't and they they come to find out like she had a phantom pregnancy where like she wanted to be pregnant she thought she was pregnant so like her belly swelled up like her breasts that's, grew bigger and that's a real thing yeah i mean i think it's a real thing it's called phantom pregnancy your body like goes through hormonal changes even though there's no baby wow so when i went in for my first ultrasound that thought was like in the back of my mind I was like, <laughs> what if i'm not really pregnant like what if i'm i'm crazy and the sonogram tech what if she like starts looking she's like you're there's nothing here like this is a big black abyss of a swollen belly and you're not pregnant and my best friend kept being like get over it you're pregnant you're having a baby like you're just worried because you tried for so long and you wanted this so bad it seems too good to be true yeah so when i started googling like will i know if my baby dies inside of me my sisters of course were like just go to the doctor like just go to the emergency room it was a friday so it was a weekend I was like, no, the copay for the ER is ridiculous. Like, I'm not going to be that mom who walks in and is like, I have no reason to believe this. I just want you to tell me that everything is fine because I'm scared, you know? Yeah. So I waited a whole, a whole other week, went to work, did all my things like normal with this just like looming, the sense of dread. Yeah. So like when I'm having kind of like an anxiety flare up, I compare it to being like four years old, five years old, and you've done something wrong. And your mom's like, just wait till your dad comes home. Mm. I'm going to tell your dad that this happened. And, he's, and you just kind of like all day go around this heaviness on your chest, like impending doom of like your dad coming home and punishing you. <laughs> and that's, that's what I was feeling for that whole week. And it was just so strange the more I tried to ignore it like the more it came in up in the back of my head like hey something's wrong and there was an instance at work where I was wearing a really fitted shirt and like an open half kind of flowy shawl thing and my coworker goes oh my gosh look at your belly it's so cute and I rubbed it and I said I know it's just growing and growing and immediately this thought came to my head that said you just lied to her because your belly stopped growing last week what that is, is insane. The craziest, clearest voice. And I just froze and I ran back to my desk and I sat down and cried. And that was on a Thursday. And I was like, I can't, I can't continue this way with all these dark, anxious thoughts. And I knew they were intrusive and I knew they weren't, well, I thought they weren't like coming from any place real, right? Nothing yeah. happened. So I had something to do that afternoon, but I was like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to go 
to my doctor and just yeah. tell them I'm struggling with anxiety and I need help with that. Even if they give me, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Anything just for the anxiety, not because anything's wrong with the baby, just for the anxiety. And I made the appointment Friday morning and even on the phone with the nurse, you know, she's like, well, how far along are you? I said, I'm 19 weeks. She said, what, what's going on? I said, well, I haven't felt the baby move in a while. And I was feeling like really light movements and then it kind of stopped. Like there'd be a bubble every now and then, but I could never tell if it was baby or gas or like just something. She's like, well, you're way too early to even be counting kick counts. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about lack of movement at your stage. I was like, okay, but I also have a home Doppler that I had been using, had been finding the heartbeat because my husband couldn't come to any of my appointments. Mm -hmm. So it was really nice to have that at home so he could at least hear the heartbeat because otherwise he never got to see Miles like on an ultrasound or anything. Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, you know, you're not a professional. We don't recommend home Doppler use. You could be using it wrong. Baby could be in a weird position. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about that. She's like, none of these things are a reason for you to worry. And I said, okay, that's fine. But you telling me not to worry isn't helping. Right. And I started bawling on the phone. I was like, I just need someone to check to make sure everything's okay. Because I hear you. And like, while I believe you, I can't make these feelings stop. Yeah. And she's like, okay, but if you come in, like, we're going to bill your insurance. And like, she's trying to talk me out of it right. almost. And yeah. So I just, I insisted, I was like, I, ha- I have to come in. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care where you put me in the appointment. So like, I have to be seen. So I went in that afternoon, again, by myself. My husband's like, do you want me to come, you know, sit in the parking lot? And yeah. I still thought, this is all going to be something I laugh about tomorrow. And as I, I intended to share it on my Instagram as like a anxiety awareness. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, everyone gets anxiety in pregnancy, and if you do, like, yeah, you feel silly, and there's some shame, like, going into a doctor's office for no reason, but your mental health is reason, and not, you know, a yeah. post kind of like that, and I actually started writing it while I was <laughs> sitting in the waiting room, and then, so I, I went in, and the nurse, like, got a Doppler, and she was very just chipper. Oh, this happens all the time, you know, new moms, yada, yada. Couldn't find the heartbeat on a Doppler, so she went and got, like, a handheld sonogram device. It's, like, this big of a, of a screen, you know? And she's like, well, I, I can see the baby in there. And I remember thinking, well, no, duh. Like, he didn't come out. Like, I know he hasn't come out. I have noticed that. She's like, I can see him in there, but he's not moving much. Let me just see if I can get him to move. And she's, like, jiggling it yeah. on my belly, being really upbeat, really chipper, talking about everything under the moon, talking about her daughter and her grandchildren and... Meanwhile, I'm just, like, slowly just dying inside. Yeah. Like, trying not to cry. I'm shaking. I'm starting to hyperventilate inside my mask. And I, I was thinking, like, can't she see me? Can't she Can't she understand, like, what I'm feeling right now and just be a little bit more empathetic? Um, and then, you know, they asked me to go wait in the waiting room. They were going to get a full sonogram mm-hmm. or ultrasound <laughs> machine ready. And that's when, and it was actually the same, the same um, sonographer, her name was Rose, who did my first scan like four weeks prior and we'd seen everything was perfect, you know? And so when they, when they looked, I remember everything was just so still on the screen and I could see the baby and he was curled up, like almost kind of in on himself like that, like way at the bottom of what would be the screen. I don't know where, what position it is in my belly, but 
it was just so lifeless to see it. And I, I think I knew right away, like what I was looking at. Cause I'd been having those feelings, you know, for yeah. weeks, it was almost like I wasn't surprised. Um, and I remember the doctor said, well, I'm not detecting any, uh, fetal activity or something, any cardiac, I'm not detecting any cardiac activity. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Like, you're not yeah. telling me anything. And I actually had to ask, I said, is it dead? And he just said, I'm so sorry. And like turned off the TV screen. So like there wasn't, and I, I held on to that, like all the way through getting scheduled with labor and delivery, like going in for my induction. I was like, no, 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 no. No one's confirmed this. I was like, I need someone to like look me in the face. Cause my next greatest fear was like being induced and giving birth to a living baby and being like, Oh crap, we were wrong. Like that is just how dark and spiraling out of control. My thoughts were at the time. Um, so I also said to the doctor, like after he turned off the screen, I just started crying and, and just like wailing these unearthly yeah. wails. Like I didn't even care who heard or, and, uh, I said, I knew this would happen. I knew this would happen. And you could tell the doctor got like really shaken up by that. Like maybe thinking there was like abuse or an accident yeah. or something. <laughs> He's like, how did you know? How did you know what happened? Sweetie, I need you to tell me what happened. I was like, nothing. I said, I just knew we didn't get to keep this baby. And that's kind of where like everything gets really fuzzy and dark. But I know I called my husband, of course. Um, I called my best friend to tell her. I, I just kept going back over all like these signs that had come up the week prior, these feelings. I was like, I can't believe they, they let me here. And this is where we are. It's really the, the woman intuition is something. It's crazy. Especially once you have so a kid, much. which sounds, it's yes. like, it comes once you have your kid, which is why it's so, like moms yeah. know. It's, yes. it's the wildest thing. I've heard so many women, because that's, that's one thing I, I always say, like, I had this feeling, like I knew it was gonna happen. And so many other moms are like, I had the same thing. And people told me like, I was being ridiculous. I was being crazy. You know, I was wasting my time going to the doctor, but like, you just know. I mean, it's it's our bodies. It's biological. Like, we're so in tune with them through pregnancy that you, I feel like, I don't know. I mean, obviously there are people who, who don't know and it's com are completely blindsided. Yeah. But yeah, the number of people who, who say, I knew something was wrong. It's crazy to me. Well, and it's even crazier when they don't listen. Like when they yeah. try to convince you otherwise and you're yeah. like, no, no, I, I'm telling you, I, I, yeah. you know, whatever it is like that, um, that incident that happened with, uh, the Williams sister when she was pregnant, she had the blood clots and she's telling them. Yeah. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. And yeah. You're fine, you're fine. Yeah. I, I've heard of that too. I mean, I've heard of moms who like, and it's, it's almost to me, it's more tragic than what I went through because by the time we found out anything was going on, like there was nothing that could have been done. There wasn't that, that period of like, false hope or like we'll just pray that the situation improves and maybe it'll be okay mm -hmm. it was like final as soon as we found out but there's so many stories of moms who 
either like they just feel like something's wrong and they check the baby and they're like no no no, everything's fine and she's like but i'm telling you I, you know i was bleeding or i was feeling this and they're like oh no write it off because you know it's normal in pregnancy everything's normal in pregnancy right like oh i'm bleeding that's normal and then something terrible happens and they find out like if only they had known what it was they could have prevented it right and it's so heartbreaking to me and that's something i talk about a lot is advocating for yourself as a pregnant woman like if you think something's wrong get checked if you want an extra scan like late in your pregnancy demand one like the healthcare system at least in the u.s like they work for us you know we well for how much we're paying them say again i said for how much we are paying them yeah we should be the ones making the call saying i want this this and this you know and it's unfortunate like i have a friend who was going through recurring pregnancy loss and she started like just googling things herself and she asked her doctors about progesterone and they were like no 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 you've only had two losses you don't need progesterone yet and they told her and i've heard this from so many women like you have to have three losses in order for a doctor to start like investigating and prescribing things and like looking into it because less than three is normal but that's so many like most people have two kids so you've already like yes that's crazy i never heard of that it's 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 insane because that's what they told me i asked like i would be considered high risk in a subsequent pregnancy because and they said well you know it was it was just an accident so what it ended up being we think and we have peace with this is that he was wrapped in his cord like multiple multiple times when he was born and the nurse said you know well babies are born healthy wrapped in their cords all the time so we can't be sure but that's the only thing all of their tests were normal <laughs> everything else was normal um and so it wasn't anything like my body it wasn't an incompetent cervix it mm-hmm. wasn't like a genetic disorder so it wasn't anything to like look out for to or prevent the next yeah. time and they said and since it was only your first loss like, unless you have more than three you're not considered high risk at your next pregnancy or unless you have some kind of like a physical something going on and it's just it's, it's mind-blowing to me when you well a couple questions there so what is the process, right? So you're at the, at the doctor's office, OB, and they're like, there's no cardiac movement. So for for me, based on how far along I was, I had to go into labor and delivery and be induced and give birth. That same day? They tried to get me in the same day. Yes. But labor and delivery ward was full. So they put me on a waiting list, kind of like any mom waiting for an induction. They put you on a list, I guess, by priority and they just call you when there's an opening um so we we went home and that was at 19 weeks yeah 19 weeks they measured him and they said he measured more around 18 so they think it had happened about a week prior and then based on like i guess even when a body like when a baby dies in the womb their body goes through these changes i don't know if it's like decomposition or what but they could tell by the amount of swelling on the brain that had happened post-mortem that he had been dead for like at least a week. So it all pointed right back to like when those dark feelings started to creep in and I started just feeling like something was wrong. Um, So they were like, you know, go home and we'll have labor and delivery call you when there's an opening. And we probably got home around like 3.30 
or so and my husband and I just like sat there and stared at each other we had my in-laws pick up my son from school but we were like what are we supposed to do <laughs> yeah you know like are we supposed to like cook dinner and like wash dishes and watch tv like we just found out our child is dead and we're wait just waiting to like give birth to him and then there were all the questions that even in all the stories I had read about loss because I'm I was, I'm very into mom blogs. Like I love to read other mom stories, even if they're sad and heartbreaking, like just reading them made me feel connected to these other moms. So even before I had my own story of loss, I was reading others and something I have never, ever read before was like, you have to decide what to do with your baby's remains. Like the hospital asks you, you can have them just disposed. Like the hospital will dispose of them for you. You can take them to a funeral home to have them either cremated or buried, or at least our hospital offered like cremation or burial services themselves for like stillborn babies. Um, and like, I, I didn't even know because most of my husband actually is the one who asked. He's like, so after we have this baby, like, what are we going to be expected to do? What kind of questions are they going to ask? And I was like, I, I don't know. And I'm not going to Google that right now. So I reached out to one of my best friends and I was like, I need you to Google this. Like I, she's the one that I called when I was waiting mm -hmm. in the clinic. I was like, I'm, you know, I just need you to look this up and tell me what kind of things we're going to be expected to, to do. Mm -hmm. uh, so ultimately we decided based on like the information like that we could have him, like we could request the remains be released to a funeral home. So we decided to bury him, which I know isn't everybody's preference, yeah. but you it's know, yours. You decide. Like, yeah. Um, you know, it's such a, like, um, it's, we talk about it and it's such a morbid thing to talk about. Yeah. But if we don't talk about it, it goes back to your point of how do you know? Because this how is normal, right? Like yeah. if up to three dead babies is normal and I've never one, it's never crossed my mind. Well, what do you do when it happens? But yeah. two, who do you even ask? I mean, I guess Google is who we ask for everything nowadays. <laughs> but it's like, it's crazy because I know actually my, my grandma, so she's old, but when she was younger, she had um, Siamese twins. So she had twins and then they were connected and they it was a, I think it was a stillbirth. Mm. Or something, I, need, I should actually ask her about it because this is, you know, 50 years ago, 40 years, a long time ago. And I never asked, I remember my mom telling me, like these would be her siblings essentially, that yeah. that's what happened. But I don't, I never asked, well, what do they do? Yeah. But it is a question because it's common. It's it's right. common, it's common. Why doesn't anyone talk about it? Right, it's, just, it's one of those things. And I, I feel like even if I were to have asked, you know, the nurses, the doctors, the answer would be like, oh, well, you can do whatever you want. Okay, well, whatever I like, I don't have a list of wants for if my baby dies. Like, that's not. Something I want I my baby alive. That's what I want. It was the same thing with like picking out a headstone for him. They were like, "Well, what do you want? N nothing, nothing. I don't want to have any of this. Yeah, a headstone. Um, you know, and they were like, "Well, what material do you want? How big do you want it? What do you want it to say?" And I was like, "You can't." I'm in the midst of grief here. Like I'm a week out from having lost my child and you expect me to know what to put on a headstone. 
you know, it was just, it's, it, it's things like no one, yeah, no one tells you, but like, why would they, you know? Cause you don't ever want to be there. You don't ever want to go through it. So why would you, it's like you said, it's morbid. Who wants to sit and talk about like, well, if your baby dies, you have to do all these well, things. Well, someone has to talk about it. So I'm glad we are. I mean, you've yeah. experienced it and it seems yeah. like, you know, you're, you are fortunate enough to have one healthy boy and you are pregnant again and you're, I mean, you take what life gives you and you're yeah. making lemon lemonade out of your lemons, basically. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I, I don't like to say, I know some people find comfort in this. I don't like to say, oh, all this good happened because I lost my child. Like, oh, I'm so thankful that I was able right. to have these conversations or like connect to the women because I would give all that away to have my child back and never have met you or never right. have met like these wonderful women on Instagram. Like yeah. I would give up that in a second to have my, my child back. But I do appreciate the fact that I've been able to like cultivate this out of the hard things I've gone through just because of the number of women who like it, the most commonly used phrase, no one's ever told me that before. Yep. I've never heard that. No one talks about that. And that just makes me feel like I am turning my lemons into lemonade. You know, I, I can't change the ugly things that happened to me as much as I wish I could. All I can do is like try to use the person I've become to do something beautiful with them. Yeah. You know, and yeah, that's, I mean, there's a million things. I remember too, like kind of agonizing over what am I going to wear to his funeral? Like, what's an appropriate thing, you know, for, I mean, any, anybody's funeral, because right after, right after Miles died, my husband lost both of his grandparents, like, 30 days apart, so it was Miles, and then his grandmother, and then his grandfather, so, like, funeral, 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 and even with their funerals, I was like, well, I know you're supposed to wear black to a funeral, I don't really own a lot of black, and, like, it's at a church, so I want to dress nice but appropriate, so I can't wear, like, a black cocktail dress. Like, that just doesn't feel right. And it's just magnified when it's your son's funeral, and you're like, I'm the mom of this kid that we're burying. What am I supposed to look like? What am I supposed to wear? And you might think, like, well, it doesn't really matter. I could have shown up in, like, sweatpants. Sweatpants, yeah. Nobody would have said anything. But at the time, it's the only thing you have any control over, and it just, to me, it felt monumental. Like, I was like, this has to be perfect. And then one thing I was really afraid of was selecting an outfit out of my own clothes and having that be Miles' funeral outfit hanging in my closet forever. Like, like it would just hang next to my wedding dress and be like, that's my wedding dress and that's my kid's funeral outfit. So I ended up borrowing a romper from my sister-in-law and I'm, I'm really glad I did because I was able to give it back to her and, you know, it doesn't have that emotional attachment mm -hmm. to her. <clears throat> So I'm not like haunted by this outfit I can't wear anymore. Yeah, no, that's that's actually like a makes sense. Yeah. Of all the things that don't make sense, that actually somehow <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, and these are the things that like you have to kind of think about <clears throat> when you lose a baby. So you you had um, also you're good on time, right? Because obviously, oh, yes. okay, good. Because this is going to be a little longer than expected. <laughs> That's fine. Um, so you had, um, what kind of birth did you have with your first son? Uh, a natural hot heart, an unmedicated hospital birth. And with your, with Miles, yeah. 
I mean, it was drastically different, obviously, but I can't even imagine that experience because you, like with the birth, you are pushing and going through all this work. Yeah. So with, it was in the same hospital and the nurse we have, I cannot say enough about how wonderful her name was Courtney. And I really hope that when I, this baby comes, like she's still there because I intend to ask for her when we go into labor and at least just see her. So, yeah. Because she, she shared a story with us about how, like, she delivered a stillborn baby and then, like, a year later got to deliver the sibling and, like, the living sibling. And she just, it, it meant so much to her. So she was an angel. I don't know if they hand-selected her to be with us because we were bereaved parents. But that that is her calling. Like, if you could be called to anything comforting grieving families is is her like her calling for sure she was so wonderful so compassionate and kind and gentle and like she gave me attention when i needed it and when i needed to be left alone she talked to my husband to like just keep conversation flowing mm-hmm. in the room but it was like she knew whether we wanted to talk or not talk or talk about miles or talk about you know killian our other kid um and so i had to be induced and when i first got there like i said they're like, okay, well, here's how the induction process is going to go. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. Someone has to confirm this. Yeah. And the doctor leaned in real close. And she said, confirm what, sweetie? And I just started bawling. I couldn't even bring myself to say it. And I think she knew what I was trying to imply. She's like, okay, okay. We'll go get an ultrasound, like a, an ultrasound machine and bring it in now. So they did. And you know, she pointed out the same things the last doctor had pointed out. And she, she even couldn't say you know yeah you know your baby's no longer alive she was just like it's what you thought it was like she was trying to choose her words really gently and I'm I'm like I'm I'm the Enneagram 8 like everything is direct with me like there's no euphemisms necessary I just wanted someone to tell it to me straight and it's just so strange to me that a healthcare provider like couldn't do I'm sure most people don't want that they want like the more gentle language yeah, but, but you just, want to be sure. It's still something that just frustrates me. And I knew, like, I knew I could see what I was looking at. And I knew what she was saying, you know. And my husband kept, like, kind of, Becca, like, you know, stop. I don't know if he was trying to tell me, like, stop hoping or, like, stop putting these people in this awkward position where you're, like, you're forcing them to say something out loud they don't want to say. Well, it's their job. This is their profession. Yeah. Like, I mean, they've dealt it. with it more than I have, yeah. theoretically. So, well, um, it goes back to this is this is normal, which still obviously I can't it it blows my mind that if this is normal, then why don't they know how to talk about it? Why don't they know how to just say it for what it is? The only the only reason I can think is that like people want this handled so differently, Um, you know, and I I feel like I've surrounded myself with like minded people online and in the community that I've established myself in. But that doesn't mean that there aren't people who. When something like this happens, they want it more like gently, clinically yeah. rather than emotionally. Um, not to say that they don't think it was a child or worthy of mourning, but you know they're just kind of like, let's do a DNC instead. And no, I don't want to. I don't want to hold it. I don't want to see it. You know, we're just gonna kind of put it behind us. So maybe that's why the doctors, without knowing me personally, they don't really know what I'm looking for or like how I prefer to be talked to mm-hmm. and actually my first um I, no it wasn't my first but at one of my postpartum visits I remember she said something like well you know how long has it been or, oh, I forget the question 
but she used the phrasing, um, since the termination of your last pregnancy. And I just said, please don't call it that. And yeah. She was like, okay, how would you like for me to refer to it? I said, I gave birth. I had a baby. Like, it's the same as with my first. Like, you wouldn't call the birth of my first child a termination of a pregnancy, like, you know? So I was like, I, I gave birth, and I wanted to be referred that way. She was like, oh, okay, no problem. And I think she made a note in my chart about it, so it just highlighted to me that, like, different people want this talked about differently. Yeah. Um, so once they confirmed that he was actually dead, that there wasn't any, like, heartbeat anymore, they did induction with vaginal suppositories. So every... Four hours, I think it was, they put a suppository in close to my cervix just to, like, start labor and get everything going. Mm -hmm. And I remember I had to lay on my back for the first 45 minutes after every time they put one in. And that's when, like, the cramping and everything, like, ramps up. And, I mean, no one likes to lay flat on their back. When they're cramping. having period cramps. Like, it's not the most comfortable position. And I was just so miserable. But I committed to, like, another... As, as much as I could, unmedicated birth. Like, I did, they offered me an epidural, and I was like, no, I'm not doing that, because I had planned another unmedicated birth. And I was like, just because he's, he's dead doesn't mean that's changed my plans, and I felt like I owed it to him to do that. Like, with my firstborn, it was really important that, like, I be conscious for everything, that I feel everything, that I learn, like, to power through Mm -hmm. everything. And I was like, I'm going to give that to this baby, too. Um, They did talk me into a, like, a morphine drip because John was, John was just really concerned. And his biggest fear was, like, not only losing his child, which had already happened, but also losing me through something complicated. Yeah. And I know that, like, pain in childbirth is not, obviously not a sign of a complication, but all he saw was my emotional pain and also my physical pain, and it was really hurting him as well. So he was actually the one who was like, there's no shame in, like, taking a little bit of drugs to, like, take the edge off here. And the nurse, Courtney, too, she was like, she's like, I know you're a champion. I know how you birthed your first baby because we talked about it a lot when we got there. She's like, but this one is so different. You're not going to have, like, that reward at the end, that sweet moment of joy with your newborn. She's like, it's just pain from here on out, and there's no reason to put yourself through this physical pain when the emotional pain is going to be so much heavier. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, wow. Even even then, I was like, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for, for John, for my husband, who's, like, sitting here watching me. So I got a morphine drip, and they, they even made fun of me because at the end, they were like, you didn't, like, hardly use this. But what I was worried about, because if you've ever been on a morphine drip that you're controlling with your button, you only get, like, so many doses in, like, a time period. So if you use one, and then the pain gets worse, you don't have another one to use until, like, oh, 20 minutes later. Yeah, I gotcha. You're like... <laughs> Yeah, so having been through labor, I was like, this isn't that bad, so I don't want to use it now, and then it get worse, and then I don't have any more to use, so I was trying to, like, use it sparingly, and I felt like it was, it was really just intense cramping, more akin to, like, a bad period, like, kind of like my first period when I came off birth control, which we talked about, was just, like, just horrendous, and every time I would, like, kind of moan or make a sound in my head I was like god I'm being so dramatic these aren't even these aren't even that bad I'm just like sad and 
two days at this point. So like these sounds are just coming out and I, I don't know why I'm making so much noise. This isn't that bad. And after probably two or three doses, so four, like 12, no, it was only, so my labor was only nine hours. So it was probably like about eight hours in or so. The nurse, like she kind of looked at me, she's like, hey, I feel like things are progressing differently right now. I'm going to go get like the birth card that they still bring in for like the placenta collection and everything. And in my head, I was like, nothing, nothing feels different. I'm not acting different, but she was right because like, as soon as she came back, she was like, Hey, why don't you try to push just a little bit? And I only had to dilate to like a six. So it really wasn't right. Like there was no urge to push really, but I mean, she was right. I don't know how she knew what she knew. I think labor and delivery nurses are amazingly yeah. in tune with what they're seeing. Cause it was the same with, with Killian. I, I felt like I was just laboring forever. And all of a sudden she's like, things look different. She got what she needed. And then he was born like 45 minutes later. That's insane. Yeah. And so it was the same with, with this one. And we didn't know his gender until he came out and he was born like perfectly in his sack and that's when she saw, and I couldn't, I was really cold and I had like a bunch of blankets up even over my legs and everything. And so John saw when she opened, um, the, the sack that his cord was wrapped around like his neck twice. And then it, like, he said it was like rubber bands. She was just like taking them off of him. Um, but we got to hold him, which is another thing I feel lucky. I don't no one who's lost a baby is lucky, right. but I'm, I'm thankful that we got that because it like humanized him more, not to us, but to, like, I have pictures of him. I have pictures of us holding him. I have pictures of his fingers and his face and his lips and his nose. Like, please try to tell me that wasn't a baby. And then look at this picture. Yeah. You know what I mean? And some people I know when they have, when they have miscarriages earlier on and they just kind of like pass fetal tissue, which I hate that phrasing. There's like, it's almost like there's no proof that their baby existed, right. that their baby was human. And I got that. I had that. Like, I held him. They they wrapped him in a little angel dress with a tiny hat. Um, they took some pictures for us. And, you know, they offered us um, a cuddle cot. I think our hospital has one or two. And it's something that you can, like, lay the baby in to keep them I don't remember if it keeps them warm or if it keeps them cool, but it basically keeps the body from like decomposing. Yeah. Um, so that you can stay longer with your baby. And my next like thought that I kept having was, I don't, I don't want to lay here and pretend like he's alive. Like I'm spending time with him. And so I was, I wasn't like in a hurry to leave, but I was like, there's, yeah. there's nothing more I can gain from staying here and like holding him longer and trying to find that sense of joy after just having give, given birth to a baby. Like it's not here for me. So we left pretty early or pretty soon after that, probably about an hour after giving birth, like, you know, after they checked everything and my bleeding was under control and they were like, well, you didn't have an epidural. So if you're okay to walk, you're okay to leave. You know, That's insane. Yeah. It's crazy to think you just, uh, you have a baby and a couple hours later, they, yeah. I guess they took the baby or they give it to. So they, yeah, they took the remains to do um, an autopsy on because we wanted just to know if there was any genetic abnormalities. And then they, I mean, like any death in a hospital, they keep the body in the morgue and then they release it to the funeral home 
when it's time. And so that was on a Saturday. That Monday, we went to the funeral home to, like, make arrangements. And another thing people probably don't know is, but a lot of funeral homes will do um, baby burials for free. Like, they waive all their own fees. We had to pay vendors because we had some folding chairs and – I think like the people who actually dig the grave are a different vendor, but the 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 funeral home themselves like waived all of their fees there. Wow. Yeah. So they'll do that for any. I don't know up to how old, but like because I guess in their minds, like it's you're not you're supposed to be burying old people. You're not supposed to be burying like ten inch long babies in these tiny white caskets. So they they did that for free, but it was an old. I think it was a family friend of my uh, my in laws who works there so she was really gentle and kind but you know even she was like well what kind of music do you want I was like well I don't know what's like normal and sad for a funeral but not gonna like make us all just sit there and cry and my husband made a joke he's like well I don't really know what his favorite type of music was we hadn't gotten there in our relationship yet (laughs) so there you know but she was like, well, do you want programs? Like, do you want to invite anybody and, like, wait for people to travel in from out of state so we could push the funeral back? And I was like, no, 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 no. I just want this done as simply and quickly as possible. Like, to me, his life was so small. Like, he didn't need this giant thing overshadowing yeah. his tiny life. So, um we had my husband's family. He's he has a lot of local family, aunts, uncles. Um, my two best friends were there with me, and my brother-in-law came up from South Florida with his family. You know, so it was really small and intimate little funeral. Um, my my dad expressed like a desire to come. He's up north in Maryland. I'm in Florida, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, you know, I really wanted to make it to the funeral it's on saturday right and i was like no it's today and he was like oh i thought it was because what had happened was when i found out that you know miles had died i just know my parents like whatever they would have had to have say they like, had to say to me wouldn't be what i wanted to hear at the time so i asked my sisters to kind of like liaison between us and like tell them what was going on mm-hmm. tell them the plans so i think when my when i told my sister the funeral times and she communicated it to them. Things got kind of mixed up with like when it was. So my dad, to his credit, like would have been there had right. he not like been miscommunicated. But otherwise, <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't really expect my family to travel from out of state for this. It's not, and I didn't care. Yeah, like I knew that that would be something I'd find comforting at the time. Well, you did it for you and your husband and yeah. for him, and that's it. Like, yeah, it's such a um. It's like to deal with grief and obviously everyone does it different. It's, and you know, you, cause we're young. So maybe our grand, great grandparents have died. Maybe, you know, maybe there have been deaths. I had never been to a funeral before. I had never been to a single other funeral when my, so I grew up out of the country. So as my dad's parents died before I was born. My grandmother passed away when I was like eight, but my mom flew back to that funeral. I had an uncle who passed away, but my dad traveled for that funeral by himself. So like yeah. I didn't have elderly relatives who were passing away that I was going to funerals for. So this was my first one. 
and I was like, wow, what a, and then I went, like I said, I went to three or two more that year. Um, but we did, so our, our pastor who we, he officiated our wedding six years ago and we asked him to come down from Jacksonville to do the funeral service. And he was more than, you know, willing to do that for us. He, he was my husband's high school Spanish teacher. So he's been like a dear family friend. Um, he and his wife actually lost their first baby. Um, it was a stillbirth and he talks about like how his wife handled that. And I appreciated all of his like insight on, so like, some of the things he said was like, he didn't let his wife or he recommended that his wife not see the baby at all. He's like, I didn't want her to have that memory burned into her mind of like what the baby looked like. And that was one of my fears too. And they asked me if I wanted to see Miles' body. I was like, what if he doesn't look, what if he looks like a science experiment? And that's what I'm left like with this vision in my head, you know? And he looked, I mean, he looked obviously human, but also like, you know, any picture. Like a fetus, fetus, a baby. Yeah. Yeah. Red, like no skin, no hair. Everything was soft. Um, but then he said, you know, after the funeral, they're going to do the burial. He's like, Becca, don't stay for that. Don't stay to watch them put your child into the ground and cover him up with dirt. It's not pretty. Let this, he said, let this be the pretty goodbye, like the funeral service. And then you just go and we will handle this. And then he said, when you get home, like, don't go into the nursery, have someone else come and clean up the nursery and pack. He's like, don't even, don't even look at it. And he's older and he's Cuban. So there's a lot of like generational and cultural differences there. Mm -hmm. But in my head, I was like, I don't know if I could live with myself knowing I didn't face all of these things for my son who just passed away. So after the service, John, you know, Mr. Mesa told us this and John's like, all right, like, let's go. And we got in the truck and my sister-in-law was like, I'm going to stay and like watch to the end of the burial for you just to let you know he's okay, which sounds kind of silly, like, no, but been done, but, and I remember I got in the truck and John like looked at me and I was looking in the rear view mirror and he's like, are, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm, I'm not okay. I don't want to leave. I'm, like, I'm not ready to leave. I want to stay for this. And he was like, okay, well, if you, if you want to stay for this, you can. He's like, he's like, I know Mr. Mesa told you all these things, but you're not, Raquel, his wife, he's like, you're a different person. And if you need this, you need this. Yeah. So I went, I went back and I watched and the people doing, I don't know what they're called. I don't want to call them the grave diggers. I think the undertakers. Okay. So they were like you know, doing the dirt and stuff. And, mm -hmm. and I remember they put the first couple like piles in there and they're like, Hey, so we have to like tap the ground down now, but we don't want to like cause emotional distress. And we all kind of laughed a little bit. We were like, it's, it's fine. We know what's going on here, you know, because it was awkward for them to be doing this, like really. To them, it's just routine, but to us, it's obviously like really intimate and emotional. So they were like, "Ooh, how do we handle this?" Like with this family watching us. So it's just a really, again, who talks about this? Who talks about the fact that like they have to stamp, like put into this big, I don't know, like a like a tea from like a tea ball tea, and they like pounded the dirt down on top of this casket with it. Huh. threw the rest on top you know and I was like okay but it felt it felt final to me in closure that moment. yeah whereas before when we were when we were leaving and his cast 
back, it was still just like sitting on this tiny table. I was like, I'm just, I'm just going to leave him there. You know, and I know I would have come back and like seen the grave, but I had this other dark fear. I still kind of think about it sometimes, but I, I try not to let myself, but I'm like, what if they didn't actually put his body in this casket like they said they were going to? What if they threw him away? What if he's not in here? So I knew that if I just came back and saw like the finished grave, I'd be like, what if they didn't put him in there? What if they just threw the casket away and this hole is empty, you know? And so I, for me, I had to see it to know that that was what was going on. So I think I would feel the same. Like I'd want to see the whole, I mean, I would never want to do any of it, but for closure, for closure, you have to just. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's like the biggest thing I think is whatever you need. And that's something I've, I've kind of learned. So immediately after this, my OB was like, do you want to see a grief counselor or a postpartum? And I was like, absolutely. A hundred percent. So the next week I started in therapy and even, even they were like, you're, you know, you're here and this is still really fresh. You're like a week away. She's like, usually people wait four to eight weeks to like see how they're going to feel. Mm -hmm. And then they start therapy when they realize that they're not okay. So I think getting that jump on it really, really helped me. Um, and she gave me a lot of like tools to use and, you know, different ways to look at things and ways to like handle these grief bombs Mm -hmm. that, you know, come over you at the oddest of times. Um, but yeah, you know, having, having that closure is like, that's where you can start healing. Cause if you're still holding on to all these things, you, you can't start to heal. And there's a specific counselor for that. It's not just a, cause I've yeah. heard, so, yeah, I've heard crazy stories where, you know, women have infertility issues and then they go see a therapist and the therapist is like, what? It was just an embryo. And it's like, no, it wasn't just an embryo. The woman, the woman that I saw, she specialized in so she, she she somehow connected like our ob clinic specifically and she specializes in postpartum mood disorders and grief mm. so i guess she could do grief counseling for any type of grief but because she also has that postpartum mood disorder you know postpartum anxiety postpartum depression she kind of knew exactly how to tie them together and how to talk about what i had just lost without mm. being dismissive like you know, I can't imagine another therapist saying that, but there's been so many things said to me that I can't imagine someone saying that I'm sure it happens, but you know, saying like, well, now, you know, just get over it, have another baby, maybe another baby would help, that kind of thing. That would be so painful to me. Um, and she was just wonderful and, you know, gentle and guiding and understanding so it was what was um because i feel obviously everyone deals with grief and pain differently loss differently but what's something one or two things that really helped like just to like when you because it's easy to spiral right and so to really just shake you up and get you kind of your mind right for me it was talking about it like i i needed to talk about it and i mean i've been I'm an English major. I've been a writer since I was like a, like a journaler since I was nine years old. Like it's just what I do. I put things into words. So that's like one of the first things I asked my husband and it might've even been on the way home from the, the appointment at the OB clinic. Like when we just learned he had died, I was like, 
I'm going to write about this and I'm going to be open about this and I want to make sure you're okay with that. Cause I said, I don't, I know what I need for my grief, but I don't know what you need. And I don't want what I need to step on what you need. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, he was like, what you do for yourself for your grief is not going to hurt me in any way. So I just immediately started like writing out this story and I waited until after he was buried to even like announce it on, you know, my Facebook and my Instagram and my blog. Um, but that, that helped not only because it helped me put into words and like visibly see how I was feeling, but it connected me with so many other people. I mean, I think it was like the next day I was on Instagram, like looking up hashtags and like finding other people who'd been through this. And I think a part of me was like searching for somebody who could fix it. Like who could say, Oh yes. no, here's how you go back in time. Here's how you get your baby back. Here's how you feel better, you know? But more what I found was like people who had been through it and survived and gone on to find hope and joy in other places. Mm-hmm. And that's just what I kind of held on to. And I've had women tell me that now that I am pregnant and I'm sharing about like the joys of pregnancy as well as the struggles with pregnancy after loss. But they're like, you know, they've just been through a recent loss and they're sad for them, but they're happy for me. And they just say like, seeing your joy after what you've been through is giving me hope that I'll get there one day. Yeah. And that's what I found in that first week. And that's what I like sought out and looked for. And that's what I tried to like give back to that community. So just getting it all out there, like in actual rights for some people, it's art, drawing, whatever. Mm -hmm. For me, it was writing. Um, but then the other thing that I, remember from my therapist that I've told multiple people about is we talked about like your grief comes in waves, you know? So I'm hanging out with my four year old. We're having a good time. We're at swim lessons, whatever. And all of a sudden this wave of grief just like hits me. And I feel like I'm about to, to collapse. And I'm like, I can't just break down crying here. It's going to scare him. People are going to ask me what's wrong. Like, I just can't deal with this right now. So what my therapist told me was to imagine there's a closet and in this closet, I've put all of, all of miles, his things, his memories, feelings, thoughts, you know, anger, my crying, whatever it is into my grief closet. So if I, if I can't deal with it right now, if I'm driving and I can't have like an emotional breakdown on driving, just think of it as like the closet doors are closed. She said, but know that you have to go visit that closet. So schedule yourself a time. She was like, so if you feel those things come over, just say, I can't deal with it right now, but I'm going to be home in 45 minutes. So in an hour, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to open those closet doors and I'm just going to go through all of the things and I'm going to feel everything and I'm going to cry and I'm going to say what I need to say and look at pictures and his teddy bear and like give yourself time to like dwell on it Mm -hmm. because too often we, we try to push it down and be okay and be preoccupied and busy and distract ourselves and then and then you never deal with it and then it's always a thing it just just grows inside of you instead of finding that closure and finding that like healing and being able to kind of let those things go so that grief closet analogy just really stuck with me it was a great visual because that's what we actually I, I told her that in one of our sessions I was like I feel like I just shoved him into this closet. And she was like, why, why do you feel like it's in a closet? And I said, well, that's literally what we did. When we came home from the funeral, like the next day, we took all the baby things, put them away, and we put them in this closet here. 
in what is now our empty spare bedroom should have been his nursery. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like a painful thought to me. And she took it and she turned it into something beautiful for me. Like this closet is not where you put him to hide him away. This closet is where you've put him to keep him safe until you get to deal with him and visit him. Yeah. Um, it makes sense. Yeah. It's, um, there are some superstitions and some cultures, religions where like, you don't buy things for the baby until they're here or, you know, someone else has the stuff and then only when, so there's like no nursery or whatever. So with the stuff that you had, you're expecting again and you're much further along and you're feeling good. What did you, are, did you get rid of his stuff? Did you, are you going to use How's that? So we ended up selling the crib. I had bought a crib off of Facebook marketplace and painted this really beautiful green and we decided, so after after Miles was born, we decided to wait three months to try again. And that was more logistical than emotional for us. I was ready right away. I was like, my body still craves a baby. I'm lactating, like all these things. I want a baby here. I want to be pregnant like right now. And my yeah. husband was more reserved, but ultimately we were like, okay, I'm going to take maternity leave from my work. So I have to wait a whole year in order for those maternity leave benefits to reset. So if I get pregnant too soon, I won't be eligible for them. Yes. So nine months plus three months is 12 months. So let's wait three. And so when we started trying, I was like, I I held on to everything, the crib included. And after two months of trying, I was like, it had been five since Miles had died. And I was like, I'm, I'm ready to let this go. I said, I'm going to list it on the Facebook marketplace for like, I think around the same price I bought it for. And I was like, if it sells at that price that this was meant to be, and if it doesn't, I'll just keep it like without any like hard feelings or, you know, any like feeling guilty for keeping it or feeling crazy. Attachments, yeah. And somebody messaged me about it like the very next day. And I kind of Facebook stalked her. She had just had a baby like two months ago. And she was like, yeah, we're just ready to move from the bassinet to a crib, but we don't have a crib. So I felt like I was able to give her something beautiful for her baby mm-hmm. um and it, it just felt right so we sold the crib but um I had been doing a lot of online shopping like just prior to finding out Miles had died and so after we died I got packages in the mail like I had, I had probably ordered like a dozen onesies from Old Navy and they sent them individually packaged one after like every 12 day. of these suckers Every day I got one package with one little onesie. The next day I'd get a package with one little onesie. And it was just heartbreaking. Never ending. Never ending. And, you know, I kept all of them because I kept all of Killian's clothes as well. Well, most of them. Thinking, like, if we have more children, I'll want to use them. Yeah. And at first I was like, well, I don't – they feel like Miles' clothes to me, but Miles never got to wear them. So would I feel comfortable putting another baby in them? And then I realized, like, I don't want to treat Miles like this, like, holy little thing on a pedestal. Like, I want to treat him just like I treated Killian. Yeah. And I had zero issues with putting another baby in any of Killian's clothes except his coming home outfit. Like, that is more sacred, I guess. Yeah. So I had one that was intended for Miles, and it's adorable. It's got this little hood and these bare ears and a tail. And I was like, it breaks my heart that I'll never get to see a baby in this, but... Just like with Killian's outfit, I feel like I owe it to Miles to not use that. So that one is, like, stashed away. Yeah, one outfit. So, yeah. It, it That makes sense. I think that's super 
I mean, I think that's what everyone does. Like the one hat or the one blankie or, you know. Sometimes they put it like a, a shadow box. That yeah. Thing or, yeah. Yeah, it's really, um, it's such a, like a, almost, it's just a mind fuck. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's so, um, it's like very enlightening to talk to you about it because you don't make it feel heavy. Although I did almost cry once. <laughs> you, don't, you don't make it feel like, um, you know, you keep it light, but real. Yeah. And obviously no one wants to ever expect it, but being back to statistics, this is a normal thing. Yeah. It, it's like pe women need somewhere to go and they, mm -hmm. I think that because you write about it, it's very, very, um, it keeps, it keeps where reality is versus where what you thought or you think or, yes. you know, our it's mind plays me, tricks on us. compartmentalize more of like this, like th this is the reality. These are the facts. These are some of the feelings I had attached to it. But the more you, you tell, the more I tell the story, the more I talk about it, the more I write about it, the more like I'm able to express it mm -hmm. with joy or like in a lighter way. It doesn't feel as heavy to me. And that's just where I've arrived. I mean, it's a, almost a year later. More of a story um, rather than a... Right. I'm not, I'm not like pulled back. And there are still moments. I just recently posted about how I'll, I'll just be like trying to fall asleep at night. And all of a sudden like I'm sucked back into that clinic room and I'm like, I can't breathe. And I start sobbing and I'm like, where is this coming from? But those things are becoming like, fewer and, and, you know, farther between each of those episodes. And I'm more able to recognize, like, this is just, like, something that's coming up now. I'm not I'm not still here. I'm not still in this, like, dark place of grief and, and pain. I've been able to move through it. Mm -hmm. And I think that is such a, a personal journey. Everybody moves through it like at different times you know like I couldn't promise like oh a year later you'll feel okay um because there are people you know seven years later they're still struggling to deal with it and then there are people who only months in are feeling a little bit more removed from it and neither is right or wrong I think it's just how we how we process it and like where our emotions take us mm -hmm. so yeah I mean I I like telling Miles' story. I feel like it, it validates his life. And well, there's a lot of value that comes with it. Like you're sharing something that's yeah. one, not a lot of people share, but also it's it's your experience. And I think that it it's just there's just so much value that comes with it that because people aren't sharing this, because women and men, especially, I'm sure, aren't sharing yeah. this. It's yeah. like you really create a, something for people that you can't find. You really can't find that ex, that value anywhere. It's like you just right. bring so much to it. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny you should mention husbands because I do feel like, I mean, women versus men, like on any, not just with child loss, but on anything, I feel like women are more like emotionally expressive. Totally different. And men are more like internal. And that's something my husband and I had had to talk about because I like I said I told him I'm going to talk about Miles online with people I'm going to tell his story like I plan to write a book um, yeah and I, I told him I was like I want to know how you want me to talk about him with you like I, I knew that I had to initiate that conversation or it wasn't going to happen yeah. and at first 
he, I don't want to say he didn't want to talk about it, but it was obviously like it held a lot of pain for him. It took John longer to find that place where he could talk about Miles like as his son with any sense of like joy or pride. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad I initiated it because like now he he's like, well, you're working on your third baby, like really casually. He'll be like, I've got three boys, you know, like, just those little things that remind me that he also remembers Miles and doesn't just think about him with pain and he's able to count him among our children, which was yeah. so important to me. Well, and I think that when you, when you could talk about it, the more you talk about it, the easier it gets. Yeah. We have a girlfriend who has, um, she has a crazy story. She has four kids and they're all, I think the youngest is like 10 now, but when she was pregnant with her, the fourth one, her husband died. And just in the middle of the night, he just, he was young. I think like 30 in his 35 or something. So the youngest one never met him, but now it, you know, it's 10 or 11 years later or whatever. And she's so open about it when the kids bug her, you know, you know, say, Oh, I want this or whatever. She'll say, go ask your dad. And like, you know, it's it's a little morbid, but it's funny because it's like yeah. they're very open about it. They she makes jokes about it, and they're they've accepted it. And it's like you have to get to that point where you talk about it enough where it's okay. Yeah, and that's why I've I've seen some some moms on Instagram do that too. They deal with it with humor. That's not so much my like way of feeling, but I I can appreciate it when it is somebody yeah. says something like they had a picture of their daughter who was stillborn, and they said. Uh, well, she's been sleeping through the night since the day she was born, you know, or something, something like that. And I can appreciate it. Yeah. But other people were like, how are you so callous and yada, yada. And it's just, it's, it's not, so but that's, how yeah. You feel and yeah. How you talk about your kids anyway. I mean, some people, some people do that. Like they're like, oh, my kid's a little asshole. You know, that's just how they talk about their kids more with like a sense of humor. Whereas I am like, oh, my sweet, precious baby, you know. So it's different parenting styles. <laughs> it's so true. It's so funny. I mean, it's not funny, but it's like, and I think that that's like, because there are so many, so many negatives that come with social media. Yes. When you finally find your community and you can find the positives and all the good stuff that comes with it, mm-hmm. it's like, it's amazing because you wouldn't be able to find these people otherwise. Like, I can't imagine, mm-hmm. like, where, where do you find your community when no one wants to talk about it? And, you know, people are comfortable talking about it when they're kind of hidden behind their phone or their account or whatever. Yeah, security screen. Yeah, and that's that's fine when it's, you know, you're not hurting other people and you're not talking shit and, you know, whatever. But um, I feel like when you find that community, it it's it's something that you couldn't find otherwise. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm grateful every again. I would trade it to have not gone through this. But I'm so grateful every day. I mean, some of those, the women that I've connected with, like, we we also communicate off of social media. And, like, one of us, we're both pregnant with little boys. We're like, okay, 2022, like, we're, we're having a meetup. We're bringing our rainbow babies. Like, it's going to be a thing. And I, I love that. And so my husband is kind of, like, an anti-social media person. He's like, I don't see the value. Everyone's, like, terrible on there. It brings out the worst. Mm-hmm. But when I'm able to show him that, be like, this is what I have found here. This is what I've created. This is like, he can now see the value in it. Like, this has helped me immensely. And I'm helping others. And that that helps me. Like, yeah. See, seeing that my pain helps others makes my pain feel 
random, yeah. you know, and, and more validated, like, okay, I hate to say pain has a purpose, but if pain has a purpose, here it is. Yeah, you found it, which, I mean, every, you know, you, when you can find and direct that energy and that pain to something, that's when you, you're like, okay, well, I guess you can find ease in it or you can find your calmness in it. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what it is. You have a blog, you have mm -hmm. your handle. Tell me what your handle is and where people can find you and, you know, continue following up because you're, yep. how many, you're 20, how many? 26 ones? today. 26 Yay. Today. Amazing. So yeah. you, what's your due date? I'm due August 26th. Amazing. So obviously we'll be in touch and I'll keep following along and I want to hear more and see more and I'm excited yeah. for all this. Um, Share what? Uh, where? Where can people find you and all this? So I do blog more occasionally because most of it's just on my Instagram. But my blog is um, Becca X O C O dot WordPress dot com, mm -hmm. and then my handle on Instagram is at Becca B E K A dot X O dot C O. So Becca X O Company. That's how I say it. But I'll include yeah. the um, link so people can see. Awesome. Um, Thank you so anything much. else you want to share? I mean, no, just like, yeah, I know there's a lot of people who, and we've, we've talked about this already, but no one told me this or no one talks about that. And I want to encourage people like to, to bring those things up, especially to me, they can always private message me and people private message me who I, who I don't know. And they always start off with an apology. I'm so sorry to message you. And I'm like, please do not apologize. And then they're like, oh my gosh, you responded. Thank you. And I'm like, I'm a, I'm a human being sitting here on the other side of this. I read all my own comments. I write all my own messages. Like I don't, I'm not, I'm not a somebody who, you know, has an assistant doing this for me or a robot or whatever. So it's like, if you, if you have questions or if you just want to be like, Hey, I have to share my story with somebody. I want to talk about my baby. I want my space to be a safe space for them to do that. You know, and if they just want to share it with a complete stranger, because it's sometimes easier than sharing it with a loved one, mm -hmm. please, please reach out to me, DM me, like comment on something, like just connect because that, that's where you find healings when you can connect with somebody who's been through it already. A hundred percent. And it seems like you have got a very good grasp on it. So I'm sure you, um, try. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a process. It's a lifelong thing. And you know, yeah. you figure it out. I'm in awe of how strong you are. I mean, it never ceases to amaze me at how strong Thank women you. are. Um, yeah. But it's like these things that we carry with us. It's you know you 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 make it look easy. Thank you.